Your occupation, Mr. Wordsworth? A librarian, sir. Since there are no more books, Mr. Wordsworth, there are no more libraries. The field investigators in your sector have classified you as obsolete. A lie! No man is obsolete! You have no function, Mr. Wordsworth. You're an anachronism, like a ghost from another time. I am nothing more than a reminder to you that you cannot destroy truth by burning pages. You're a bug, Mr. Wordsworth, a crawling insect. An ugly, misformed little creature who has no purpose here, no meaning. I don't care. I tell you, I don't care. I'm a human being. I exist. And if I speak one thought aloud, that thought lives even after I'm shoveled into my grave. this door with the key to your podcast app on your phone or to your preferred app of choice. We are here discussing two bizarre intersections, two strange bedfellows, two great tastes that somehow taste great together. We are discussing the intersection of Christian faith and the horror genre. You have just entered the fear of God. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh we are here obviously as i've already mentioned discussing uh faith and the horror genre and with you is myself reed lackey and your favorite canamant nathan rouse hi how's it going buddy (laughs) hey reed can you hear that do you hear that i I can yeah i hear it really well yes you hear me i can hear you i I hear you you. think the people can hear me do you hear that? I think that's that people the can sound hear you. Yeah. Of a voice, a not too I know. I know. dramatically impaired voice. It is mi- I know. It's minorly impaired. There's still a little bit of congestion, but uh But I can't hear it. I think you're good. Good. Yeah, I think the, you're in good that shape. De- yeah. That demon who inhabited my self the last 2 weeks. Um sorry everybody. I I <laughs> for maybe the first time in my life had a wicked case of bronchitis and a sinus infection at the same time. But uh, I am more or less in fighting form again and ready to enter the zone, if you will. I did think it was yes, funny. Exactly. This is just my my mind. You referred to two strange bedfellows, and I didn't know if you were referring to you and I, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, take you, it for no, however we'll you leave. want to take it. We'll leave that one there. <laughs> in the biblical sense. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners are going to have no idea what oh, that means. They've got an idea. So, uh, um, <laughs> Reed, I'm here. You're here. We're here. Yes. It is. Yeah, we're glad. February 2018. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, so I'm very, very excited about this series that we're doing. Uh, do you want to tell them kind of what we're launching this week, or do you want me to? I mean, will you permit me? Will you go ahead? Will you let me? No, I yeah, mean, you've already ahead. tipped our hand a little bit, but they don't, they don't really know. They don't know. Now. No, they They've don't, they don't idea. know the full extent yet. I've got an idea based on your interest. So, you know, we clearly we have grown to love the concept of the series here at the fear of God. Yes, indeed. For those of you who uh, slogged through, we appreciate you. Our Stranger Things uh, uh, (laughs) quadruple bagger there um, back in November of 2017, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point. Um, Wow. You you recognize and realize that though there is content of a televised nature, as in not feature film, that would be ripe for us to discuss, it can be difficult because, especially in the current age of TV production that is so heavily serialized towards just the 10-hour movie over the kind of just right. one-and-done type of episode, it can be difficult to know how to tackle that when you're doing a presentation the way we do our podcast. So um, we've been wanting to kind of tackle some more TV type of material. We are very excited. We're going to do three episodes starting today, uh, starting with this exact one you are listening to. Each episode is going to feature a couple of different episodes of a partic- mm-hmm. of a particular TV show. Um, and I got really excited and I like to brainstorm our TV, our, I'm sorry, our episode titles or our series titles rather. And um, I didn't know if this one would fly. So I kind of floated the test balloon without any context to read. <laughs> so, so ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the first in a three episode series of hashtag TV guideposts. Oh, we'll indeed. just let that one. Oh, we'll just let that one hang in the air for just a moment. For, I will, I will say this. Let's not explain it at all. If you get the reference, then, you know, just hit us up somewhere yeah. by email or social media. Means you're let probably us know. listening to this in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. At grandma's house. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, exactly. Please, but, but, listener, uh, read. I'm talking to the listeners now. I really want the listeners oh, okay. to listen to these episodes while they're in the bathroom. <laughs> so we will, <laughs> we will, in the interest of that, make these a bit shorter because we, <laughs> oh we've been gosh. called out lately on the robustness of our episode lengths, which, indeed, hey, indeed. you know what? We're just, we're confident and we feel good about what we're doing and we just like to talk. That said, that's true. TV guide posts will make them a little more terse. So that go to your grandparents' house, to their bathroom, <laughs> and listen to these episodes. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and listeners, if you have no clue what we're talking about, just uh, you know, email me. I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, so before we get into the first installment, which I'm extremely excited to get into for a variety of reasons, before we get into the first installment of uh, Hashtag TV Guideposts, um, we need to do this week's installment of What You Watching, What You Reading, What You Listening To, What You Watching, What You Reading, What You Listening To. You like it? I do. I do. <laughs> So yes, All right. I anticipated that you would do that song to the tune you just did. Um, there you so, go. Yeah. I, I wonder if the if our listeners have any clue what we're covering today. Um, oh, they've they've probably got an idea by now. Yeah. If they don't, then uh, educate yourselves, everybody. Right. 
So you asked the question of what I am watching, reading, and listening to. Um, in the interest of time, yeah. because <laughs> you know I don't want people to hurt themselves at grandma's. Um, uh, I, I'll just I'll just do one. Um, I am actually in right in the middle of a book, um, and I actually chose this book just because some folks I follow on Twitter. I don't know. It, that's maybe a it was cheap via Kindle, you know, some of these, uh, faith organizations and, and publications or publishers will do these promotions sometimes on Amazon. And the title intrigued me enough that I was like, I'm, I want to read that. And believe it or not, I'm going to tell you the title, but it was written in 2009. Okay. So huh, okay. previous to our current crazy town USA. Um, but the title of the book is caring for words in a culture of lies. And is oh, fascinating! By a writer okay. named Marilyn McIntyre, and um, you know she is a, an English professor of some sort. And um, I wanted to briefly read the little statement because I was going to say this, but it's better coming from the work itself. Uh, a quote of hers from the book: "It says, like any other life-sustaining resource, language can be depleted, polluted, contaminated, eroded, and filled with artificial mm. stimulants." Today, more than ever, language needs to be rescued and restored, drawing on a wide range of sources, both critical and literary. Uh, the book is an engaging address to everyone concerned with preserving the vitality and precision of the spoken and written word. It's your mm. it's your kind of book, Reed Lackey. Oh, absolutely. No, that I, I would be all over that. I'm, I'm going to have to seek that book out. It's good. It's um, good. Um, I've, I've read some excerpts to my wife. It can be a little like slightly academic in some places in a way that is and i don't mean as in too high-minded to engage but more like if i'm frank a little bit boring um but sure over sure. overall it's it's got a, some really good things to say and i've been highlighting a lot of it so that's what i'm reading is caring for words in a culture of lies nice nice uh, thanks for the recommendation yeah. um for me, I just finished, uh, and I'm 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 late to this party because this is a, a film that came out in summer of last year. But uh, with the release to home video of War for the Planet of the Apes, mm -hmm. I did a three night rewatch of the entire trilogy. Um, so oh, I'm a Saturday so, night, I wish I had joined I watched, you with that for that. I wish oh, I could have. Yeah. On the Saturday night, I watched Rise, and then on the Sunday night, I watched uh, Dawn, and then I watched War. And, I mean, listeners who have seen these three films uh, perhaps already agree with this, but and that is they, a... And if they don't, they're wrong. <laughs> yes, you are factually incorrect. Um, it, it is such a rewarding storytelling experience. Oh, my gosh. It, I mean, I was blown away by... And, and I... It was interesting because I don't know that I necessarily would have had this strong of a reaction had I, say, watched all three of them in the same day. Maybe I would have. I don't know. But it, there was something very distinct about, like, I'm going to engage with this one very complete chapter here and then see the next chapter the next night. So there was a little bit of, you know, several hours of just rumination on what I had seen mm -hmm. and then experiencing the next one. Now, I had seen Rise and Dawn before. I had never seen War before. War is so good. Um, Oh my god! Oh, so I was I was floored with how emotional I got in the last twenty minutes. I was just bowled over by the investment I had placed in this 
Yeah, I mean, I know that Andy Serkis is actually performing the character, so it, the lines get a little fuzzy when you begin to say this computer-generated character, as it were, because there's so much of him oh, man. in the performance. He's a treasure. You know? Holy cow. Absolutely. and so, But just what they've managed to do with that story, because, you know, I'm not going to dive into it whole hog, but, uh, I mean, the war for the Planet of the Apes, and of course then I, like a moron, went to IMDb and saw some of the atrocious user reviews giving it one star because there wasn't oh, enough fighting stop, in it, you know? Stop. It was ridiculous. But the reason I bring that up is because it really is... Uh, there would have been a lot of temptation to just make it a blockbuster uh, festival no, no, of. It's incredibly thoughtful. But that's the thing is it, th- right. this war is you know uh, uh, Woody Harrelson's character, the Colonel, says at one point to Caesar, he says this is a holy war, and I remember that statement just knocked me over because I'm like it is. You're, but but it's it's because this is a war for souls. It's not a war for territory. It's not a war for for merely. Uh, in other words, this is what I walked away feeling. I was like this whole series has been a meditation on who not by evolutionary survival of the fittest sort of mentality but by virtue of uh integrity and character and all of these other sorts of things who has earned the right to to have this planet who has earned sure, the right to sure. to inhabit this space and uh and I, I was just floored it listeners if you have not seen it uh, if you haven't seen any of the Planet of the Apes trilogy, I highly recommend all of them. But even if you have seen the first two installments, or if you've seen them all, I highly recommend that compact rewatch to just you know take them in uh, one night right after the other. It was uh, incredibly rewarding, and I I just can't stop thinking and talking about it. It might be when I finally do my top ten list for 2017, because um, I do mine from Oscars to Oscars. Most people do them on calendar year, but I close out my Hey, what were my favorite movies of 2017 uh, by the Oscars telecast? Just because, you know, that's the way my brain works and I like to be different. But um, I I venture to say that War may be my number one. Like it it was. It's fantastic. It was incredible. So Uh, so I was blown away. that 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 little toboggan vest wearing ape. He was the best. Oh, uh, the one Steve Zahn plays, <laughs> Bad Ape. Is oh that my who gosh. that is? That's Steve Zahn, yeah. And what's so great what? is there was that one point where... Um, he, oh, friend! Yeah. <laughs> but when he when they want him to climb up, that little That's face that so he makes funny. when they want him to climb yes. up, and he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. And then uh, Maurice, the the big orangutan, uh, right, right. Uh, Maurice is like, Rah! and then he just looks all flabbergasted and goes, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> he's the best. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe um, maybe we'll do a B side of all three of them. Oh that man, be, uh, I would love that. Good lord, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so. That has Very been a, cool. That's been another edition of Nathan. What you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Hey, it's great. I'm proud of you. That's you did right. a good Thank job. You. Especially Thank for you. only having seen, you know, like two episodes of whatever it is we're talking about. I asked and you. Whatever it is. I asked. Okay, so listeners, we're going to go ahead and dive right into this for your sake because, you know, you've been on the pot for a while now. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> um I'm going to I'm going to dive right into this. The, um... So what we're talking about today is the, uh, it debuted in 1959, but prominently uh, 1960s TV show, The Twilight Zone. Uh, created by and largely written by Rod Serling. There were a number of other writers, but Rod Serling either wrote or co-wrote 92 of the 156 episodes of Twilight Zone. So it's very much from the mind of Rod Serling. Um, but uh, what's what's fascinating about uh, w- when I asked you how much Twilight Zone you had seen, I believe your response was uh, pig doctors, gremlins, something else. 
And that was that was that was all you told me. So I said, okay, so so not much. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, not much. But uh, and honestly, it's funny you say that because I haven't actually. If I have seen pig doctors beginning to end, I don't recall it. What I recall is, as as a youngster, uh, you know, as as occasionally you do as a child. I have children; they do this. You know, you're watching TV at night, and your kid wanders into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, we intentionally have the TV facing the opposite direction so they don't accidentally wander in. And during Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something right. like exactly well, precisely yes, I remember walking in probably my dad watching twilight zone and it was pig doctor scene and it scared the crap out of me and i was like yes. i don't even know what that i don't yep. even have any context for that so yes that's really where i got that from but what's such a shame about that and i'm gonna take you know about a minute and a half here and just bemoan something that it's like it's it's a shame that this series is so old and that so many people encounter them after they've already encountered a certain cultural awareness of most of the touch points because the series obviously thrived in many cases, not in all of them, uh, as we'll learn today when we're talking about it, not all of them have twist endings, um, but many of them do. Quite a few of them do. And it's just unfortunate that you know pig doctors but don't necessarily know the episode because when you eventually, which I hope you do, when you eventually see that episode, I think you will feel as a viewer, oh, it would be nice to not know the pig doctor thing going into this episode. It would be really nice. Right. Um, right. Is it like? Is it like? A, are the other things chicken people? Like, just go ahead like and go with boo? that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did they wear a disguise to look like human guys, but they're not a man? It's a chicken boo. This is now the second time you've brought this up. <laughs> you get one more. I'm just letting not you today. know. Yes, yes, yes. Pig doctors um, and chicken boo. But right. uh, but yeah, but there is one connection. Uh, let's dive right into trivial bits, and then we'll talk about the episodes that we're talking about. So there is one connection. I mentioned. Uh, my recent viewing of the Planet of the Apes films, the original Planet of the Apes movie, which was based on a novel by Pierre Boulle, but the original Planet of the Apes movie, the screenplay was by Rod Serling. So really? Yes, and, and very much framed... As in, as in, are you saying that the first Apes films screenplay itself is by him, or are you saying he dra- he did a draft, an early draft or something? No, it, it, he's credited as he's the, writer. the screenwriter. Like he adapted oh, okay. it. Yeah, he adapted that, and it very much, uh, largely because of that, it very much feels like a Twilight Zone episode. You know, like it really, sure. it really is kind of that thing, uh, particularly with the the you know the now uh, culturally aware twist at the end of that film that it definitely falls right in line with his sort of uh, mental headspace. Um, but I, good Lord, I love Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, uh, Twilight Zone has been a favorite television show of mine for, good Lord, probably since I was a little kid. I think I probably walked in, you know, not maybe necessarily my father or mother watching it, but it on the TV, you know, and, and just got really enamored with it, uh, probably on Nick at Night or something was where it was airing. And um, it wasn't the first anthology series to hit television, but it's unquestionably one of the most iconic. I mean, Twilight right. Twilight Zone as a phrase has entered the cultural lexicon, even for people like yourself who have never seen much of the material. Oh, like, I, it's still I, there. I do love I, I failed to remember to mention I do love the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. See, yes, then there's that. Soon soon to be the Gardens of the Galaxy thing. So, oh, yeah. see, for us, it already is. So for us... Right. Yeah. Well, I just mean in general, the notion of no more Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's know. true. Yeah, no, we. it made me very sad when Tower of Terror went away. and the, But the Guardians ride is pretty good. But yeah, it, really? it'll, it'll make good. me sad 
to not um, hear, you know, see that opening and, and right. you know, hear that music and everything. It was just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, just shed a tear, pour a cold one out for Disneyland ride. Um, but we are specifically, obviously, because like you mentioned in our, in introducing the series, unlike Stranger Things, which tells a story over a number of episodes, a singular story, this one, every episode is self-contained. So one does not connect to the other one. They're all their own little individual bubble. So what we're going to do, uh, as we will with the two shows that follow this, we're just going to take two episodes kind of in isolation and discuss those episodes uh, on their own. And with Twilight Zone, boy, it's like, you know, trying to pick your, your favorite child or something. It was so difficult to try to come up with episodes that, because most of them are ripe with some version of conversation for what we, for what we want to talk about. Um, sure. But we landed today on an episode from season three called To Serve Man. Uh, and we'll put this up on the Facebook page and I'll mention it in the link, but currently Twilight Zone is available to stream for Amazon Prime users and on Netflix. You're able to watch it in either platform. Uh, and both of these episodes we're talking about today are readily available there. Um, we're talking about To Serve Man from Season 3 and an episode called The Obsolete Man from Season 2. So before we get too whole hog into any of that, how did you how did you like these episodes? What was your general response your general feelings about them um i i would be curious in a moment to hear you uh, elaborate a little bit on your having chosen these particular ones uh, specifically i say that because i think sequentially obsolete precedes to serve and so i watched them in sequence that way i kind of wish i'd reversed it mm. because i do think obsolete is a much stronger kind of Con- uh, I mean, both of them, both of the concepts are, are pretty direct, but uh, Obsolete Man feels more like theater, if you will. It, it's it's rich. Indeed. It's, you know, the strong performances. Um, it, it's kind of isolated and it's in its specific narrative um, to serve man is fine. Um, I, I not because I knew anything, but I sort of guessed rather readily where it was going. And so it sure it. it it kind of hinges on that being an actual surprise. And so from that standpoint, there wasn't a whole lot to really glom onto beyond that. Um, I can, under, I can understand. So I, I thought, I thought the Superman was just okay. Um, if, if I were ranking it, I'd give it kind of a two and a half out of five. It was fine. It okay. was um, fair. Whereas obsolete man, I would put more in kind of the four, four and a half. Um, well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because, um, to serve man, and this is again, I think I alluded to this and then interrupted my own thought um, about how unfortunate it is that most people encounter these things uh, when lots of other things have built sure. upon those concepts culturally. Right, um, right. Like, even though you didn't know anything specifically about to serve man, and I was very careful when I told you the episode that I didn't hint at anything, but... Yeah, that concept is not a, a completely new concept, and we'll we'll go through a brief synopsis in a second. But the reason I say it's kind of unfortunate that we encounter it late is uh, that at one time, I mean, and To Serve Man is still regarded as one of the greatest Twilight Zone episodes ever. To Serve really? Man, really, wow! Yeah, to, and in fact, To Serve Man is was ranked in a in a TV Guide poll, uh, not TV Guide posts, TV Guide poll. Um, it was uh, ranked as the eleventh 
greatest television episode of all time. This is every, every wow. TV. Yeah, this was in 97. So before the golden age of television we're in right now. But it was very much like it's it's very beloved. It is all concept. So I can understand how some right. if you see that coming beforehand, how there isn't much else to that concept. But right. If you don't, that revelation is very impactful and obviously was impactful to contemporary audiences of the time. Um, obsolete. Well, and I think, and to your point, like it's possible if I gave it another look, I would appreciate it more. My brain just works this way. You told me the title and I kind of sussed it out. Like, sure. Not even yeah, because I course. read anything. I was like, oh, this might be what this is about. And, yeah. um, well, the Simpsons you, did a great, if you've seen the Simpsons, t- uh, Treehouse of Horror, they spoofed this in their very first Treehouse of Horror. Mm, because, I wonder if that was subconsciously rattling around. Cause I do, I have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that. And I mean, they, they say it like, uh, uh, Kang That's and Kodos funny. have like to serve humans. And uh-huh. then, and then, uh, oh no, there's space dust on here, and it says, um, no, uh, to serve four humans. And then, it, and then they're like, oh, there's more space dust to serve forty humans, you know, like, and they, they run that <laughs> gag a few times. Right. So yeah, if you've seen that, it was probably that's, stuck that's interesting. Somewhere. I would not, and I, I, I have to be frank, like, I, and I have no clue what the advances were like in 1960 whatever it was when this aired i found the sort of creature design of the aliens just really laughable like it just didn't (laughs) it it didn't work for me at all and so from that standpoint the threat was pretty non-existent um (laughs) you know and and uh, we'll, we'll have a very quick sidebar here I'm a deep uh, uh, X Files head, and am currently watching the season that's that's releasing at present. And what it's just so funny because I had watched that most recent episode of X Files, which that was whenever so this whenever this airs, it's the one like the forehead sweat episode. Um, the very, long start of forehead sweat. There you go. Um, very comical. Darren Morgan scripted, and in fact, I do want to reference him in a second too. Um, well, in it, so I watched that X-Files episode before seeing To Serve Man. In it, there's this great Twilight Zone spoof. And on top of that, when an actual sort of alien character shows up at the end of it, he communicates telepathically without speaking. <laughs> right. So right. I have that in my head. And then I start <laughs> watching these Twilight Zone. So you can see how a lot of this To Serve Man was diminished with the sure. Simpsons subconsciously and the X-Files very consciously. Right. And then you've right. got a telepathically communicating goateed <laughs> do- doofy looking alien right, <laughs> who right. uses who, uh, this would be in my likes and dislikes who uses silly earth idioms like the cost of a few dollars it's extremely <laughs> economical i was like what give me a break <laughs> that alien wouldn't say that no exactly <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah, so all exactly. of that was very fresh in my head watching this that's pretty funny well and um so now is probably a good time to go ahead and just dive into the the a brief synopsis of both episodes like so we've already kind of tipped our hands to serve man. The concept is these aliens come to earth um, with a, uh, you know, we come in peace kind of benevolence, but they also have a number of technological advancements that make life on earth 
extremely easy. They have ways to turn dry, arid deserts into bounteous fields of vegetables and grains. And so they they have these developments that uh, they also have uh, specific shields that make uh, war virtually impossible and pointless because they you know they say you can put these shields around nations to where you can't attack each other and so basically these these creatures called canaments come and they bring their technological advancements and when they bring them they basically make life on earth uh completely easy and palatable and make it uh, as peaceful a state as human beings have ever possibly known Meanwhile, um, some scientists and our main character scientist is trying to break down their language and what, uh, you know, if they can discern like what their real intent is uh, to be here for us. And uh, so then when they finally discover the title of their primary book, sort of their main guidebook that they've discovered, it's called To Serve Man. So they're like, oh, well, that's a that that tips the hand right there. They're there to serve us. They're there to, to help us. And then, of course, one of the shocking yeah, spoiler alerts, we asked you to watch the episode and then I'm just going to ruin it. But the um, uh, the episode itself ends or, you know, near the end uh, with the revelation that To Serve Man is actually a cookbook. And so they've come basically to, you know, uh, harvest them like chickens or cows and make their lives palatable and easy so that they can fatten them up and devour them. And that's the big reveal. And so there, there's that. The Obsolete Man, which was largely the driver for my wanting to talk about or feature that on this show. I, I wanted to talk about Obsolete Man and was trying to get somewhere uh, that would sort of thematically coincide, which landed me at To Serve Man. But the Obsolete Man, the premise is that in a in a future, in a future place, um, there future, is... Future, yeah, marks. Yeah, quotation future. marks. Um, there is a totalitarian government that um, basically has rendered certain practices and certain types of people obsolete. So one of those people who comes before the board, before the state, uh, to be evaluated and judged as to whether or not they are obsolete is a librarian named Wordsworth. It's a little on the nose, but uh, the librarian named Wordsworth, played by Burgess Meredith, good Lord, he's wonderful, um, come before the state and, and they argue that he is obsolete and there's no longer any need for him. So he basically... Um, delivers a number of soliloquies about uh, what uh, it means to be a thinking person, what it means to have ideas and to have words and to have concepts and uh, the the inherent rights of man that he uh, digs his heels in on. And then uh, he gets to choose the method of his execution, which he does choose, and then he invites the primary chancellor, the main antagonist of the episode, he invites the chancellor into a room to be with him in the last couple of hours before he dies. And so when he does that, uh, he reveals that his his method of execution, his chosen method of execution was to blow himself up. But the chancellor is now locked in with him. And so he says they're going to get to see the uh, he asked also for his execution to be televised. So the whole world will see how you with your totalitarian state face death and how I face death. And that's the primary conceit. There is no twist ending to obsolete man, which in hindsight is part of why I think that episode feels stronger is because it's it is also like to serve man. It's all idea, but 
its ideas are flavored throughout the episode as opposed to right, right, depending right. on the big reveal twist. Um, well, and it's well, and yes, <clears throat> the serve man depends on its twist for it for the whole piece to land. Um, obsolete man, I would say there's a soft twist in there of or a soft turn of him, you know, kind of uh, basically shackling himself to the chancellor. You know, like that's sure, sure. That's that's a, that's a, a little pivot that you won't necessarily see coming. Um, how that's, that plays yeah, good out. Point. Yeah, but it's funny. Um, you know, these are these TV guidepost episodes are going to be a bit uh, different in structure anyway. But um, I referenced forehead sweat a minute ago, um, and Darren Morgan, who is the writer and the director of that particular X Files episode, and many of the most noteworthy of the comedic. X-Files episodes in its entire run did an interview around that new episode. And Uh. in the interview, I think this was for Vulture or The Ringer, maybe Vulture, I can't remember who, AV Club, I don't know. Um, He references Rod Serling pretty heavily. Oh, wow. Which I found interesting as it was coinciding with us doing this. And this would fall more into trivial bits, I imagine, but does inform where we're at. Apparently, Serling had had some if I'm remembering this correctly, he had had some brick walls he was running into about some of the material he wanted to do for some of the shows he was writing for some of the Absolutely. Yeah. previous properties that he was attached to as maybe in the writer's room or something. So specifically created twilight zone in order to explore some of the more politically charged concepts yep. he was kind of pondering and thinking on. And I just found that pretty interesting, you know, that it was so engineered from the start to have, that kind of ethos to it absolutely yeah and and that was largely um the conceit is he had this opportunity very much like star trek eventually did as well you had this ability that because it's science fiction and because it's it's horror or fantasy or whatever you want to categorize it as you have the freedom to explore things that if you put it on the nose then people are going to get offended and some people still got offended by what they you know, very clearly read as his thematic exploration and his uh, ultimate conclusions about that subject. Um, but it's a bit more palatable when you do it in a fantastical sure, way sure. Um, because you can, and it does provide the opportunity for you to get out of the very literal a- elements of things and show people something that when they see it in a slightly different perspective, they may understand, oh yeah, this is kind of silly for us to, to, you know, right, feel this way right. or hold this prejudice or something. This is a bit silly. And uh, so that was largely what he wanted to do. I love, I'll, I'll say this and then uh, want to get into some of the meat of the episodes. So I talk a lot about Stephen King. You and I both do. Um, I talk a lot about Ray Bradbury and how much I love him. Uh, I too rarely mention Rod Serling, but he is at the same table with those guys for me on a personal level. Um, I have a couple of books that he wrote. Uh, some of them are just short story versions of Twilight Zone episodes that he penned and adapted. Some of them are other writings that he's done. Um, But he is somebody that I deeply, deeply admire. And I would love someday to be able to replicate his degree of thought about society and even the things that I don't necessarily agree with about the conclusions that he draws uh, occasionally. I just so admire his work in total. He considered himself, as I probably would myself if this came down to it, he considered himself um, what he called a conservative liberal, which basically meant that he was very centrist and Whenever he saw a trend pushing too far to the left or too far to the right, he would 
craft a story or craft an episode that would somehow uh, elucidate the other side of the point. And, sure, um, sure. and, and I, f- I just find that fascinating and I find that very powerful. And I think it's why some of the episodes that do endure the way they do uh, have that staying power is because they are able to look at humanity as a whole and look at the substance of diversity, the substance of different ideas um, and pit them in dialogue with one another. And so, yeah, Twilight Zone and Rod Serling especially are, are just very crucial and important to me just i'm just a fan and i would love to someday write something even in the same ballpark as as what he's written but uh but yeah let's dive into some of the some of the specifics of of these episodes one of the things i mentioned that i that i do love even though it does depend on the twist you got to admit like just as a story idea the twist to to serve man is uh is pretty clever like i i I like it a lot that having been said you talked about the makeup and stuff. I would definitely, I mean, I'm going to forgive it because it's TV, but especially when you've seen, you know, 30 years prior, some of the stuff that the Universal Monsters looked like and the strength, sure. the strength of those makeup effects. I definitely agree. Canimates look a little uh, subpar, as it were, but I'm going to chalk well, that up to and, TV well, budgets, you know? Yes. And I, I, yes. And I can couch a thing in its context and all that sort of stuff, but just things like it just really is humorous to me that it's got this massive facial hair. You know what I mean? It's like, that is such a deliberate choice from a creature design kind of standpoint. That's so like, I just don't know that a humanoid alien is going to have grown a fat goatee. You know what I mean? It was just, it was like, okay, I I can go with you, I guess. (laughs) That's hysterical. That's really funny. But, uh, yeah, and the uh, flipping over real quick to uh, Obsolete Man, just dang Burgess Meredith. Oh, uh, he's amazing. And and what's interesting about his presence in that episode is that he was on Twilight Zone a few other times. And oh, really? in, in those other instances, he always played very silly, absurd, goofy characters, very sort of clownish and buffoonish characters. So his role in Obsolete Man was very different, even for his presence on that show. You know, he's very, very direct, a very dramatic and impassioned performance, and it, it's powerful. It's really... Effective. Well, it's funny you said that because, you know, it took me five seconds or ten seconds of him on screen before it clicked who it was. I mean, I know I oh, recognized sure, him. sure. And I think part of that is because, you know, in my head, he's the penguin or he's, right, right. you know, the rock, the Rocky character whose name alludes Mickey. me. Mickey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which are more broadly drawn or sure. in the case of yeah. penguin, very specific sort of, right. you know, right. kind of caricature character. And so I was uh, impressed, uh, but sure. but definitely took me a second to register exactly who i was watching um but right. he, he was fantastic oh yeah he's he's powerful um so yeah I, I love his his role in that i love the script in obsolete man and it was a very uh it was a very personal script for this is this probably should have gone in trivial bits but it was a very personal script for serling again he was kind of reacting at the time this is what's fascinating about it is he was kind of reacting at the time to some trends that he saw in like some of the more liberal camps, he saw some trends in both political sides of the spectrum to move away from intellectualism. And he was very disturbed by that trend that both wanted a sense of conformity to their own way of thinking. And they wanted everybody to, to sort of adopt what their particular platform was. And so he crafts this very, it's kind of, um, 
alarming to see a character very adamantly like the totalitarian state is is very anti-god anti-religion and so it's saying you know the state has proven that there is no god so then to see wordsworth very passionately there is a god you know and and sure to sure. have that debate it, I, off-putting is not the right word it's disarming to see that in a non-Christian, you know, su- such a, um, sure. you know, you'd expect to see that on Highway to Heaven or something. You wouldn't expect to see right, that on the right, Twilight right, Zone. Right. Um, but Spoiler it's alert, Highway to Heaven is next week's TV Guide post. Uh, that is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no no offense to Highway to Heaven lovers. Um, we are we are in Grandma's bathroom after all. But, um, <laughs> so, but, uh, but no, like sincerely, the, uh, it is... Kind of uh, refreshing, invigorating. There's a there's a host of words like to deal with a subject of a religious character, a deeply religious character, but who is not treated with any sense of caricature or absurdity. He's treated uh, very seriously, and his ideas are treated very seriously. And I'll dig more into that when we get into themes. But that's part of well, why I love this episode. That, it's funny you say that. Like I don't. I don't consider him a quote unquote religious character. I mean, I think what was so moving about that moment and, and really kind of subversive, honestly, was this is just a well-rounded human being, you know, like, yes. like, Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, and so, you know, which hear me, that doesn't, that makes it sound like I'm saying someone who doesn't believe in God isn't well-rounded. Uh, understand the nuance that I say that with. I'm just trying to point out that, I didn't watch that scene and think, oh, look, a religious character being taken seriously as much as it was like, wow, this is really interesting. It is definitely subversive because especially in the world we live in right now, the totalitarian state would be the one saying there is God and you'll kneel before him. You know what I mean? Like mm, as, mm-hmm. oppo- as opposed to there isn't one and the person saying, no, there is like that's that's what I found subversive about it because generally speaking the end of the tip of the spear of monolithic you know political christianity eschews academia and so the wordsworth character would would be looked at as an elitist you know like mm. like the the state would be religion as opposed mm. to the the individual and so to me that was what was kind of powerful and subversive about this particular sure. story but i do and and i don't want to debate that too much just because i don't think there's much value or do in it. you <laughs> but i will it say sounds like, like you do well i will say that to your point because i don't disagree with your point but it's it's interesting to me that what he chooses to sit and read in the last hours of his day are passages from the sure. bible yes. versus yes. say poetry yes. i mean he right. he treasures that bible so I, I'm not really kicking against your idea, but I mean, you know, is, Reed, there is poetry in the Bible. There is, but I'm saying that I mean, was, he could have easily songs. <laughs> Nathan, <laughs> he could have easily read a selection of Shakespeare's sure, poems, sure, sure, and sure. that, and then that would have more firmly stood up your point that he's not a religious character. But I'm like, right. the evidence no, I think you to my point saying, versus though. yours right, right. is is a I little do different. think for the first time in 73 podcast episodes, though definitely not the first time in our life, to hear you say live on air, Nathan, <laughs> to try to try to curtail my ridiculousness. Come on. Well, well, right. because you keep talking over me. So Reed, he's um, just not a religious character. It's not. Okay, he's not. No. He is the opposite Listen, <laughs> listeners watch the episode and see who you agree with hashtag, <laughs> hashtag team nathan well team it, it, um in your defense i had forgotten that final scene i'm simply saying that in that moment i didn't read it as 
look at this religious figure. I read it as just like I said, kind of this well-rounded human, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, no. I don't, no, want, no, I don't, I want, you, I don't want you to chastise me with my name again. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're going to say my full name just to shut me up. <laughs> hey, I didn't mind. Like, I started the conversation by saying, hey, I'm not going to kick back too much against you. And then you started, like, coming at me. So I was like, okay, gloves off no, now. You are obsolete, Nathan. Come, you are I obsolete. I did not come at you. I was simply trying to say the, my reading of the episode was not exactly what you said but i can see your point now everybody read read wins he's the best he he he's he's done it again reed's done it again he's done it again um no but in all seriousness moving um, along so but in all seriousness i think uh did you have any specific um scares or other likes dislikes in either episode to to dive into before we get into the what these are all about my only other um, likes, dislikes for either of them was that I loved how when the chancellor comes back in at the end of the obsolete man, that mm. the the folks trying after him look like the sharks and the jets squaring off. That is made me smile. That is that is pretty funny. Mm, um, well, and they make this weird guttural like a when they're coming yeah, at it. Yeah, him. it's a little odd. I'm like, Whoa. but yeah, that if there is a scary, creepy thing to it, that that ending is definitely um, a little unsettling, a little unnerving. Um, but no, uh, it's not. oh, here we go, here we go. <laughs> you just wait on next week, my friend. You just wait on next week. Oh, um, I'm just playing with but, you. But. Uh, but since, but sincerely, I mean, I think there's the one of the reasons that I paired the two episodes together is both of them are about um, an existing form of power, uh, albeit in to serve man, it's an alien form of power, and in the obsolete man, it is an all too human form of power. But both are about uh, a form of power that uh, deems its citizens as basically non-human. It um, takes away their autonomy. It takes away their capacity to think for themselves, act for themselves, be their own being for the sake of its own either edification or its own uh, persistence. So to serve man, it's a very literal, we use people as food. In obsolete man, it is the survival of the state, and it is the the furtherance of this totalitarian regime that exists. And so that's why I thought they might be um, thematically sort of linked, even though they have different conceits and different thrusts. It, it, it's something that I find really fascinating, this idea of, and I mean, maybe this is a bumper sticker after I already build my point, but I'll just sort of lead with this statement, particularly in To Serve Man. I remember thinking there are so many places and ways in which systems and figureheads would receive the trust of the people by saying that they are going to serve the people. Meanwhile, they are using the people to feed their own legacy, ambition, power, money, whatever Bell, it is. Belly. Belly, if that's the case. Wow. That's, yes. Um, but... That's the that's the obvious thing that stood out to me in in uh, especially in to serve man, but I think it's there in obsolete man as well. This idea that you would position yourself in a in a place of power under the guise of I'm here to help you, so why don't you give me all your trust, give me all your things, let me do all this for you, and then once you're kind of locked in and unable to release yourself, 
uh, it's far too late once you've realized like, oh, they really just used me to get where they wanted to get for their own sake of, of comfort and their own sake of furthering their their power and their stronghold. I know it's a bit on the nose theme, but Twilight Zone was never terribly subtle. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. Um, you know, again, to serve man struck me as a little thinner in in terms of what I got out of it, but I do see what you're going for. I, I and and maybe I don't know how intentional I ended up or I thought I'd be with talking about the book I'm reading right now, but the synchronicity of, of that and obsolete man specifically, you know, he's a librarian, mainly my thematics of, of either of these episodes is mainly just quotes as I sometimes do. Sure. You know, and two, two real specific ones that jumped out to me an obsolete man I believe it's the chancellor, maybe in the initial scene when he's rendering some sort of verdict on the penguin. Um, <laughs> he says, there's too many undesirables left around and undesirables form a core of resistance. The old, the sick, the maimed, the deformed. And I just was so struck by this again. You know, is it on the nose? Sure. Is it eerie to me? the world we live in right now and then watching a 50 year old flight of fancy sci-fi TV sure, show. Sure. Yeah. Y- yeah. It's incredibly eerie. And although, and you and I've talked about this before off the podcast, the the notion that there's nothing new under the sun kind of idea. Like, right. Right. You know, the, the, what was, what was in the sixties for Rod Serling, using the ma- this mouthpiece to say undesirables form a core of resistance, the old, the sick, the maimed, and the deformed authoritarians have been saying for centuries, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe just as an adult, seeing this in a sort of pop culture artifact just really jarred me in a way that, you know, just being just watching the world we are living in right now the way I do, it just really had some eerie resonance. Sure. Sure. Well, and I think one of the one of the distinct powers about the the method and manner of Wordsworth's resistance specifically is not through an upheaval of revolution. It is a resistance of ideas and a resistance of character. And right. I find that incredibly powerful. Like he he sure. he basically fashions a place where he says they will see now how two different people and two different ideas face death. They will see. Sure. And they'll yeah. witness the difference. And what's what's profound to me about the moment is that, uh, and, and this directly spoils the ending of, of Obsolete Man, is they're locked in that room together. A bomb is going to go off. Wordsworth is reading passages of the Bible. Of course, he reads the 23rd Psalm. He reads the 59th Psalm. He reads a number of passages of the Bible about comfort and strength in the face of tremendous threat. And he reads these passages. Meanwhile, the chancellor is sitting there trying to maintain his cool, trying to maintain his his calculated sort of distance from this concept of dying. But in the last minutes, cr- breaks down. The chancellor breaks down, begins weeping hysterically and saying, in the name of God, let me go. And earlier in the episode, he had defiantly stated sure, the state has sure. proven there is no God. The state right. has proven there is no God. But then when the moment of death comes, he says, in the name of God, let me go. And of course, Wordsworth says, indeed, in the name of God and and lets him out. And then Wordsworth dies. But 
the difference between the peace and the the assurity that was sure. there with Wordsworth and the panic and the right. hysteria that was there with the chancellor, I just found profound. You know what's interesting? Churches wrote from all denominations wrote to Rod Serling asking for permission for their churches to perform this teleplay as like wow. a nonprofit status. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely did. And um Serling would have been happy to let them, but the policy of NBC was that they couldn't do that for copyright reasons and certain and, and stuff like that. But um but he wrote back to every single one of them and sent them copies of the teleplay so that they could keep it for their records and reference right, for right. and stuff like that. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, all, I, all, I, all I was going to say was piggybacking on your observation of his solemnity. Uh, I wrote serenity in the face of death as, as one of the thematic ideas. Yeah. Um, something that really struck me too. another quote. Um, well, well, one, as you were talking and I'm going to feel like a real idiot and saying this out loud, but don't make me feel like one even more. So is the title applying as much, if not more, ultimately to the chancellor as it does to, sure, yeah, you know, Wordsworth himself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Another quote I wrote down that really we can we can run with, or, or it can be a very short, you know, sort of digression. Um, but that that I feel, well, I'll, I'll read it and then we can talk about it. Um, I don't know where in the episode this falls. You might be able to speak to that. Um, but Wordsworth says, "Any state at this very end, right?" I think this is the very end. Wordsworth doesn't say it. Serling does. Rod Serling does. Oh, okay. Yep, yes. Yep, yep. You're right. Yeah. He says, any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state deserves to be obsolete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, as a cultural artifact to, to, to end that the way it does, just bowled me over. And I, I think so much about this ongoing tension in our world and the conversations I see from people of faith about this sort of using the renderer to Caesar, what is Caesar's to God, what is God's as this sort of tacit endorsement of just whatever the state does. Yes. And I read, I see this, which I don't necessarily think is an encouragement to revolution, but could be perceived and construed as such, but is also simply kingdom conversation, right? Sure. Which is, sure. which is this thing that you have esteemed, that you have put, that you have idolized, that you have made yes. an idol of. Yes. The state, if insofar as it does not recognize the worth and the dignity and the rights of every man and every woman, Rod Serling, different era, different language. I get it. Um, <laughs> Mankind. It, deser- it deserves to be obsolete. Right. And I, I don't know. I was just really struck by that. And, and you'll recall, uh, I texted you that exact quote immediately after I finished it. You know, sure. Really, sure. Uh, really, really impressed at that. Because, yeah, absolutely. Because, because like you were saying uh, uh, 30 minutes ago, this is a long bathroom break. Um, 30 <laughs> minutes ago, <laughs> you know, when you couch these things in essentially parable, sure, you can kind of you can kind of get away with a bit of a bold undercurrent mm-hmm. in a way in a way that even even though even with some of these Twilight Zones, it's not really an undercurrent as much as it's just right there in your face. But <laughs> right. but but, con- but contextualizing it in this sort of fanciful world, right, means right. you can kind of maybe maybe miss it if you're not looking for it. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's sort of what I had thematically. Well, and the 
you talk about we've talked about on this show before going all the way back to uh 10 cloverfield lane what you termed the idolatry of safety and i think perhaps even on a different episode though i'm struggling to remember which one i may have introduced this concept before but the idolatry of comfort and the idolatry of of security uh which you know is in a similar ballpark if not exactly the same thing but this idea with with to serve man that uh and then i'll i'll piggyback into something from obsolete man as well but this idea and to serve man of the people don't like initially they kind of question the motives of the canamans but eventually it just gets to this point where it's like oh no i hear it's paradise so right, right. so why would i why would i not be a part of this why would i not just engage with this and i think that there's a way in which we are blissfully and willfully ignorant of the very real atrocities going on to create our comfort, to create the sure, sure. the uh, stability of of everyday life that we get to enjoy, and I think that one of the travesties that happens. So that's the to serve man element, but then you get with obsolete man. Now here's one of the things uh, I'm going to try not to go off on a soapbox for time's sake and also for my own sanity's sake. I de- I get extremely frustrated. With a certain degree, not in everybody, certainly not in everybody, uh, many of my friends I would not categorize in this place, uh, but there is a wide berth of people who seem to have divorced deductive reasoning and critical thinking from their explorations of faith, where they have removed intellectualism and thoughtfulness from their expressions of their theology. It's basically, you know, what they would deem as blind faith, as it were. Right. And one of the things that I find truly profound about um, Wordsworth as a as a character is he is he is challenging the state. But as we've sort of alluded to, I get the impression that even if this state were, you know, a religiously framed state versus an a right, an right. atheistic framed state, the Wordsworths of the world would still be rising up and saying, wait stop right like, right, like this right. obsolete thing is not happening and i think that's one thing that there was a, a quote that has stuck in my brain and still makes me mad i feel myself getting mad even as i'm saying it don't but, hulk uh, out Reed. don't hulk out <laughs> it was uh it was said by bill maher who has a tendency to to kick a nest anyway but um he had a guest on his show and I saw a clip from this show. I do not remember the guest, my apologies, but it was a devoutly Catholic guest who was talking about trends in theocracy and et cetera. And uh, th- this guest also pointed out the trend away from intellectualism in facets of faith. And when he pointed this out, Bill Maher made this cheap joke. It's a joke. I'm not getting, you know, I got upset by it, but I recognize it's a joke. He said, isn't all religion anti-intellectual? And... Basically, the idea being, oh, you believe in this mystical right, figure right, right, up in the right. up in the clouds, whatever. And it bothers me because I think there is some truth to the way many people express their religious belief with an anti-intellectual sense, with no deductive reasoning to why am I saying what I'm saying? Why, sure. What do I mean when I say it? With no intention. Uh, my father and I, when I was recently in North Carolina... My father and I had a number of conversations and um, substantial ones, great ones, and we talked uh, at length about 
how frightening it is how many people we see either in social media or even among some of our peer groups, our different peer groups, because obviously he's much older, who remain almost willfully ignorant of biblical teaching, uh, uh, biblically illiterate, as it were. Um, And this is not meant to be insulting, but just they have no desire to seek further than what the preacher tells them. They have no desire to seek further than what is being sort of spouted off to them. uh, And, I do not believe that that's what the Lord intends for the kingdom. I believe that the Lord intends the kingdom to work in these differing places where you have someone who maybe stands a bit more on this side and someone who stands a bit more on the other side start dialoguing with one another so you get the push and pull that happens with right. any normal movement. But we tend to want to to be conformed. We tend to want we tend to want to um just all adopt the same sort of cadence, the same sort of language, the same sort of rhythm. And in doing so, I think we are at risk of setting something up either of falling prey to the canimates of the world who would come in and use those language. Yes. Use the language that they know will. uh, I'm sorry, Nathan. (laughs) Use language that they know will work. Come on, preacher. They will use the. Yeah, there you go. You're channeling your Robert Mitchum there. Mm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that they will use language that they know will work. It will work on these people if I say this. Right. So right. I will say this, and these people will think I am with them. Right. So they will use that language, and it makes them fall prey to that if they're not using their, their brains. At the same time, they are in as much danger of setting up a conformist totalitarian state themselves, right, where right, they right. will establish no this is the standard you are not allowed to buck against this standard i as an individual we've talked about this on the show before how i sometimes don't feel like i have a home in political conversations because i'm too conservative for most liberals and too liberal for most conservatives because i'm trying to look at it from as many elements and aspects as i possibly can not because i'm better than anybody but this just that's the way i navigate the world and it gets frustrating sometimes well reed i want to stop you i think you're a little better than some people so <laughs> there's a so, small margin I, of people. I want to encourage you there. You know, it's funny if I'm allowed to uh, interrupt. Yeah, you yeah, there, yeah. Go ahead. Um, Cause I need to, I need to take a break. Well, your, your, your conversation with your father made me think years ago, um, probably about eight or so years ago. Now I worked with a person who, um, in a, in a restaurant setting. So th- this was not in a ministry setting or anything, but this person had, ministry aspirations and had served in ministry and just in that particular season of life was, was waiting tables. And I will never forget this conversation we had about like reading or something. And, and I remember, well, okay. So clearly I forget what prompted this comment, but I'll never forget his comment. Uh, it's well established. I've got a really poor memory, but his, his comment in response to a conversation about books and reading staggered me, uh, partly because of what it actually said, partly just the brazenness of, well, I'll, 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 I'll share it with you. So we're talking about books, talking about reading. And what he said was, I don't read other books except the Bible. Cause I don't want to be influenced by anything but the Bible. Dear Lord. Yes. And I, and in that moment I was like, I don't, cause this was a, a, a chum, if you will. So like we're buddies, right? We're not right. like, you know, besties like you and I, um, <laughs> indeed we are. 
so I didn't want we're we're strange bedfellows. Um, <laughs> I did, <laughs> I didn't want to like insult him, but in the moment, I had it took great effort and energy to hold back the flabbergastedness I felt, which was like that's ludicrous. That's yeah. one of the most ignorant statements I've ever heard out of a human mouth. Like, what do you mean? And and but 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 that speaks to what you're talking about too. There's this. Cause if, if I were, if it were a moment where he was asking my opinion on that statement, what I might would have said is you are way too afraid of the world. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because indeed. which, which we can nuance these things to death, but you, you, that, that exhibited such a lack of, to be frank, maybe faith in the spirit's guidance, uh, maybe trust in Jesus teachings. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You, sure. you can occupy space and you, you are more than physical body and spirit. You are mind, you are intellect. Yes. And, and, and God gave that to you <laughs> yeah. to use. And because, because what you just described a minute ago is let's say you took that mentality in one person and multiplied it by, oh, I don't know, 81%. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you end up with people who are ready to be taken advantage of. Yes, indeed. By what you described. Those who speak the language, who who mm-hmm. know the catchphrases and buzzwords, yes. and the the sheen of what supposedly matters to you, they will mm-hmm. use those things to tantalize you into a state in which they then pour a little salt and a little pepper and yes. a little butter, Indeed. and then eat you. They yeah. eat you. Yeah. It's in two Corinthians. It's in there. <laughs> But here's the thing is like the scriptures themselves call it out. What do you think what do you think wolves in sheep's clothing are right, after? Right, right. <laughs> they're they're after that's devouring aliens the sheep. and goatees. That's that's what that was really about. <laughs> but but that's the that's the thing is that we we have to to okay, so I'm gonna go an inch to your friend making his ludicrous absurd comment, but I'm gonna go an inch to say I do think there is and ignorance of the way what we take into our minds influences our thinking. So there can be people who engage with a wide variety of things. I have talked with people. Well, who, what's funny, I'm totally sorry for interrupting you, but what's funny that, that I'm thinking of right now, I feel like a jerk. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. This was a guy who was, I actually tried to avoid the, the proper pronoun. And, and then you said him, so I'm just following you here. Um, so maybe this guy, probably maybe, but, um, this was a person who watched a ton of movies, all kinds of movies. Sure. And I'm like, yeah. this is just as influencing of you as reading a book that's going to corrupt your soul. You know what I mean? Like, right. We, right. We now they're two different media. I hope that's heard. But does that make sense? Like, oh, you totally are does. you are yeah. operating in the world. You absorb things. You, right. you take things in, whether you choose to do that in uh, uh, the, by the printed word or through motion pictures, the moving pictures, <laughs> those, thing, those things have an influence on you. Anyway, no, I'm sorry no, for cutting no, you off. No, you're no, that's OK. I, the, the, I have talked with people, frustratingly enough, who I mean, this is what I believe the scripture is at least in partial reference to when they talk about double mindedness, that they go wherever the winds take them, because I have talked to people who you talk to them one year and they are, you know, born again, Bible thumping, hard 
toting evangelicals and then the very next week they don't believe there is a god and it flips on like a light switch so there's no consistency or fluency or growth to any of their track and i'm not saying that either ideology is devoid of the possibility of anti-intellectualism because i have spoken with people who do not believe in a god and they are so smart and sharp and well-read and make very compelling arguments and we have great conversations i have spoken with people of deep rich faith who have the same exact thing and they speak of things of the spirit and they speak of things of the kingdom and it is deeply compelling and i have talked to varieties of faithful churchgoers well i shouldn't even call them faithful consistent churchgoers who don't know what in the world they're talking about when they talk about things and then i've spoken to certain uh atheists or agnostics who i'm like when i listen to their argument i'm like you are spouting off ridiculous rhetoric just like the people that you say are sheep and wandering off believing in fairy tales like you're believing in a fairy tale and it is all about (laughs) the but in in seriousness it's all about how do you as a person approach your faith or lack thereof and how much are you engaging with it with your mind and and yeah i i will i will go like this inch to your friend and say there are definitely people who whatever they're reading that week that's what they believe about the world and to those people i'd be like right, you need to, right. you need to spend a couple years just reading the bible because otherwise you're going to be in trouble but if the, if you have maturity if you have a, a certain degree of integrity with how you engage with it, I think that we need not be afraid. And I have, again, I'm, I'm surprised I'm referencing so many conversations with my father in this, but we, we talked a lot about how we as believers not only are too afraid of the world, we're too afraid of sin. We're just too afraid of all of these other things. Right, and so right. and we don't we don't act in the power. Man, I love good Lord. I love this about obsolete man where when he rises up. There is this is what's powerful about it is the whole thing is 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 sort of couched in a debate of ideologies. Right. Sure. But it does not end with a debate. What it ends with is not a calculated. I'm going to out logic you. I'm going to out argue you. It ends with a display of the spirit in Wordsworth because sure. he you know, the logic and the arguments breaks down. He resigns himself to his fate. This is what's going to happen to me. But I am going to reveal to the world how much peace, courage and serenity I, with which I engage with this fate. And you're going to see the difference of spirit. And it reminds me, I don't have the Bible passage pulled up, but it reminds me of when Paul talked about because Paul was criticized for not being very well spoken and he said i didn't come to you to you know i'm paraphrasing the bible to death but he basically said i didn't come to you with fancy words or or calculated arguments i came to you with a display of god's power in other words there is a point at which the ideas or the arguments break down and you're just going to see the fruit of whoever it is that you're dealing with yes yes and and that's something that i think we again we need to be calculated and uh, a word that I can't believe has taken us this long into the podcast to use, but discerning about sure, how we sure. navigate with the world, how we navigate with the things that are we are allowing to influence us. And I'm not just talking about movies and TVs and books and, and the different things that we engage with culturally. I'm talking about the people in your life. I'm talking about the people running your, your business. I'm talking about the people running your job. I'm talking about the friends that you associate with. I'm talking about maybe even your home life. I'm talking about the people on the big screen, on the platform, on Capitol Hill, whoever it is. Be discerning and be understanding and, and thoughtful and seeking about 
the wisdom or lack thereof of whoever it is that is in that position and take that back to the cross and take that back to the spirit and take that back to the word and take that back to community and take that back to the places where it can be vetted and tested and tried so that all of the draft just like falls off and you're left with what's substantial and you're left with what's solid and you're left with what you will be able to hold on to when the bomb's ticking down. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm trying not to preach too hard, but you see what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. Like, yes. that's that that degree of testing has to be done. It has to be done. I'm so sick and tired of ideas coming down from left, right, church, atheist, wherever coming down. And then people just spouting it off without testing it, without trying it, without right, without right, saying, OK, right. what's the substance here of what we're talking about? Because one of the reasons why I am not very afraid of what. People who don't agree with me might challenge my ideas is because if my ideas don't hold up, then by God, they need to be challenged. And if they do hold up, why would I be afraid of them being challenged? Right. You know, as long as you're not going to get personal and start throwing things at me, why would I be afraid of my ideas being challenged? Because if what I believe is true, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? And if what I believe is not true, why do I persist in insisting that it is do you know what i understand it's it's funny it's funny you say that because um referencing that book uh caring for words she has this entire section on conversation and it's really lovely and beautiful and and kind of spirit filled and and she she just talks about conversation as ministry and it's so lovely and she says a danger we have created in our culture is the inability to not attack each other Mm. in in conversation and yeah and like what you just described and and putting it couching it in the context of this book she just talks about in conversation is when we grow and when we mature and when we used you share your idea and i think "Hmm, that's interesting i hadn't considered that let me let me ponder that and i'm gonna tell you in the moment back this idea like it as opposed to all that are not all that i don't you know you learn in marriage therapy, you should never use the words always or never, right? So oh, right. not all. Much of what our cultural criticism is these days, our news, if you will, is personal attack under right. the pretext of trying to dismantle a thing. It's like, well, when all we ever do is just beat the crap out of each other, we don't get anywhere. Right. And we yeah. just get We're further and much. we Right. And we just get further away from each other. As yes. opposed to sincere earnest desired willingness to actually converse yes. to actually engage a person's ideas without yes. diminishing the person now right hear me maybe some people need to be diminished but i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm, I'm sort of kidding sort of uh, but, well, but uh, no i mean it's it's exactly to what you're talking about that i mean i i run in a few circles of folks that I think that often it's not really a context where I can really speak it forcefully, but I think that often like, are you even paying attention to what you're saying and what you're absorbing? Like you're just, you're parrot, you're parroting a thing Mm -hmm. you heard, which hear me like we, we should all have an awareness and a self-awareness of the things we parrot, right? We should all be, be recognizing, Hey, where am I getting what I'm thinking and feeling from? Right. So, yes, that's a call for everybody to personal accountability. It is just startling when you see it so pronounced in others. Like, 
Right. You're, you're not even vetting a thing. You're not vetting a single thing. Like, right. That it goes in one ear and it comes out your mouth as gospel when it couldn't right. be further, couldn't be further from it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, uh, with an eye towards winding down, cause, uh, I think this episode's already gone longer than you and I intended, but, uh, to, for, to, my, with an my, eye. I'm feeling those, those prickles on my legs, you know, which has been, so long. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but with an eye towards winding down, I think, um, uh, now's probably an appropriate time to bring in the scripture passage that I had in mind and the scripture that I thought was going to be most appropriate for this is one of the most profound and powerful examples of um, faithful resistance that I've ever read in the scriptures. Um, I think we would all benefit a lot from studying the book of Daniel in times like these. But in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, where King Nebuchadnezzar had demanded that everyone bow down before a statue of himself. And of course, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And my primary reason for bringing that up is, you know, in, in a world full of chancellors and canimate lovers, be a Wordsworth. And stand yeah. up and yeah. say, you know what? I may not make it out of this. I may this may be the end of me. Uh, but even if it is, I I will not bow to this sure. this sure. golden image that you have fashioned and called it good and called it God. And I will not bow to it. And I I'm I'm, I'm convicted and I'm invigorated and uh, very spurned on by this revisiting of these twilight zone episodes and by yes. the, you know meditations of these thoughts so uh now now uh, uh let's just let's just make a decree right now that we're just going to do the rest of the twilight zone series and that's what all of these episodes are going to be yes, yes. <laughs> wow wow that was a quite, i wasn't ready for that i'm not ready for a recording <laughs> session <laughs> uh, yeah and and you know uh, uh, winding down we are giving uh david pumpkins he's sitting the bench for a couple of weeks while we sure sure trapes through our tv stuff um but hey man uh this has been fun while oh, yeah while i didn't necessarily so. connect as much with to serve man i loved obsolete man um i do not want to in fact be an obsolete man um i want to be a wordsworth um thank you for Indeed. exposing us to this um we are excited about i'm very excited i think you're reasonably excited oh i'm pretty excited about about uh, next week and the week after most definitely Indeed. So, uh, guys, you'll hear in just a moment how to check us out on social media. And until next week, Nathan, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rod. I mean, <laughs> I love it. I'll keep I it. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> See you next right. week, guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah, that's that's what she said. So, I wonder, um, 
<laughs> no, sir. No, sir. I want you to leave that so badly, but you cannot leave that in. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know when Your you get that look priceless. from me that you have crossed a line. <laughs> Your face, I wish I could just screenshot that face. Good lord, that was hysterical. <laughs>